0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers needs player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly.
1: Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kissed and Solak Show. This is episode 12, brought to you by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. 8-Year-Streak-Without-A-Bad-Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, bud?
0: Mike, every day is, of course, a good day to be alive. Oh, is it? A Jordan Matthews return day is, is a pretty <laughs> good day to be alive, I will say. I like J-Matt as like, a dude, as, as, a, as a human being. I find it very enjoyable. Obviously, like for what you thought of him as a, as a wide receiver, as a football player, he was a huge part of this team. You know, when when the Eagles moved on from him, it was a very emotional thing. A lot of players voiced their support. He was a loved guy. The the faith and like a Christian life is a big part of the Eagles locker room. And J-Matt was very integral there as well. And so if he's coming back, which it sure does look like he is, Uh, He was spotted at the facility. Sources confirm the Eagles worked him out. He was seen with a smoothie, Michael, which must mean they they are willing to invest, you know, a few strawberries and a a spoonful of (laughs) yogurt in him. Like, I don't know why that's a big deal, but that was included.
1: In Philadelphia, that's like getting the rose on The Bachelor. That's basically what Listen, it means
0: that they've retained his Chip Kelly nutritional data info ideal recovery smoothie from 2014. (laughs) And they've kept it in a dusty file folder somewhere because they knew one day he'd be back. Uh, but no, so J-Matt <laughs> is, uh, has been around the facility. Eagles obviously in need of a wide receiver. Mike, I don't know about you, how this wide receiver room has been handled over the first few weeks of the season, I personally find perplexing. And I kind of, uh, I took to Twitter to talk about it a little bit. Uh, we've got in the preseason, uh, Marcus Wheaton, who's who's slightly injured, and Kamar Aiken are both cut. DeAndre Carter, uh, the little wide receiver that could, is retained a few days later. Uh, Richard Rogers gets put on the IR. We haven't even hit week one yet. And so Marcus Wheaton is signed. And because we haven't hit week one yet, his veteran contract is guaranteed. Now, after week one, we learn that Mac Hollins is injured. I'm relatively sure it was after week one. Uh, and will be put on IR, along like the same as Richard Rogers was. At this point, Marcus Wheaton gets cut. I'm assuming because he was injured. At least I hope like, that was part of it. And Kamar Aiken gets signed to the other guy who was cut. And now here we are, after week two, Mike Wallace uh, had a non-displaced fracture of his fibula, and DeAndre Carter was just cut. Yeah. So we had a wide receiver get injured, and they cut the guy they originally kept after replacing other injured pass catchers with the two wide receivers they cut to keep the first guy, who has now (laughs) since been cut. Why? What for how?
1: And then you also add in the fact that we're talking with Jeremy Macklin, but he can't even help within a week because he hurt his knee while training to stay... Healthy as well i don't get and i didn't get during the game deandre carter not getting reps over someone like josh perkins who wouldn't have made the roster without the injury to richard Rodgers or kamar aiken who like you said deandre carter made the roster over him and kamar aiken was absolute trash you could tell from the first rep in i it took years off my life watching him
0: if so if you if you kept carter over wheaton and aiken to ensure that you weren't paying out that guaranteed contract. And then the injury, the IRing of Richard Rogers and the prolonged poor health of Mac Collins was dire enough for you to then guarantee Wheaton's contract, not Aiken. And then Wheaton <laughs> proceeded to continue having health problems. So then you had to bring Aiken back. And then in the past Two, three weeks... Now that you've got all these guys in, you've got all the contracts decided. What now we're learning is that you always liked Aiken and Wheaton more than you liked DeAndre (laughs) Carter, just from a talent perspective. So now that you've signed all the contracts with these guys, you might as well just cut the guy you think is the least talented, which is DeAndre Carter. And so then you keep Aiken, who I don't know why you would think he's more talented than Carter. I disagree with that. Is it because you can maybe get Carter back on the practice squad? I think it's possible. I'm not positive. Also, why... When Mike Wallace goes down with injury, do you cut a wide receiver in part because you're signing a running back, right? Like, I get it. Like, maybe no Ajayi, maybe no Sproles. That's a bad situation. But to me, what's more important, third running back or third wide receiver is kind of what we're talking about here. To me, third wide receiver is clearly more important.
1: Do you think that the way that Josh Perkins performed, and I thought he did well, Six targets, five receptions, had a 67% success rate. I think 14, over 14 yards per catch, 14.25, something like that.
0: Okay, well, take away the, the scramble play and it's like four yards per catch, but whatever.
1: Yeah, but you were talking about like five catches here. You can't take away twenty like 20% of his catches. That was a nice play. It was a nice subtle push off. It was a veteran push off.
0: Perkins makes that play one out of every 10 reps.
1: Well, he made it on that one, Ben, and that's what yes. we needed was guys to make plays. And he made one that we, di- we dire need of that so I give him credit for that and I thought I thought he played well other than that maybe they like Perkins I mean he was getting reps over Goddard blows my mind but that's the reality of the situation so <laughs> Ben's just putting his face up to the camera like please don't talk about Goddard like that right now you already went through it on the show with Brandon Lee Gowton in the recap go back and listen to that if you haven't but yeah I can't make heads or tails of this wide receiver room I don't know what's going on people are going people are leaving it's like a brothel I just mm-hmm. just come in do your snaps and, and and get out and hopefully this thing doesn't drag on longer than, than it needs to. I really don't care if it's if it's Jordan Matthews. I don't. I think it's a good fit. I think it makes sense. Am I excited about it? Not at all.
0: Here's, here's the thing. And like people, well, you know, I don't get why they're signing Jordan Matthews. We've already seen Jordan Matthews. We know Jordan Matthews isn't that great of a receiver. Okay, even if you think that, whenever in week three – has a team signed a high-impact receiver off the street, right? I don't, that doesn't happen, <laughs> right? Obviously, like, the Patriots just traded for Josh Gordon, who, you know, talent alone is a high-impact receiver, but it's not talent alone with Josh Gordon. We know that. Yeah, Matthews, you're bringing in a guy who has played in Doug Peterson's system, who has caught passes from Carson Wentz, Who has played with the majority of the locker room, and you know he's loved by the majority of guys in the locker room. When you're picking up a street free agent to give you significant reps at the wide receiver position, you want a guy you can get in and he can do as much as possible for you right away, right? Right. Like, there's a talk about, like, why would the Eagles put Jordan Matthews in the slot and bump Nelson Aguilar outside when Aguilar's better in the slot? They don't have to do that. They don't have to do anything. Nelson Aguilar is their young, studly receiver with great athletic ability, and he's got good hands now, and he makes plays for them. Matthews is now coming in as a wide receiver four slash five off the street, a, a minimum contract. What Matthews was in terms of the sunken cost of trying to feed a guy that you drafted in the second round—that's all gone. You know, like like this is uh, this is an ideal signing. This is a fantastic signing if he's healthy, because. Our, as, as fans, our notion, our, our preconceived idea for how Matthews has to be used is heavily tinted by the fact that when he was here on his rookie contract, we wanted to make something of him. Now it's just any meaningful reps he can give us are as valuable to him as they are to us. You know what I mean? Like he needs to be those reps. He needs to try to be sticking on a roster somewhere. and like, this was a guy who, uh, you know, has been statistically uh, productive. Obviously, there's some inflated stats there. He's never been super efficient as a receiver. But you're telling me Jordan Matthews, as a guy who has outside and inside starting experience in the scheme that you're currently running with the quarterback who's currently throwing in the football as a wide receiver for is a bad thing because you don't like how he panned out as a rookie? It's a fantastic signing if they bring him in. It's wonderful. Obviously, he's got to be healthy. Oh, but yeah. if he is, I think that's, that's stellar. I love it.
1: The expectations being thrown out there one way or the other with him are just bizarre to me. I mean, like you said, all of it makes sense. Totally fine with it. Mm-hmm. So if it happens, right. we're good.
0: Listen, logic would dictate that as he's not been with the team as much recently, it's not like he's going to be getting targets over Kamar Aiken. But then also, you go back to the Tampa Bay game, and Kamar Aiken got all the freaking targets. So maybe he, yeah, maybe Matthews will have his Josh Perkins and his Kamar Aiken where you can suddenly just like grab... Seven targets for no reason. I don't know. whatever. Totally I fine with that. I'm glad that you thought Perkins had a good game. I'm glad that Perkins, yes, had like a nice big catch down the field. I see nothing about Josh Perkins that leads me to believe he should be getting live game reps over your high investment rookie.
1: Here's the thing about here's the thing about that, Ben. A good game and taking advantage of the opportunities that were there for you. That's all gumdrops and lollipops. Josh Perkins is not the guy that I'm starting over Dallas Goddard. Let me make that clear. Right. Like I thought, he no, I what you. he was asked to do. No way should he be getting reps over Goddard. And what we saw in this game, and we'll start to kind of work work into this. We're going to be doing the coaches' film review for the Eagles' 27 to 21 loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now that the All 22 has dropped, me and Ben have taken a look at it, dissected it, We've come away with some takes. I'm um, using my third eye. Uh, but yeah, those those twelve personnel sets for us really weren't twelve personnel sets because Josh Perkins was basically being used as a wide receiver the entire time. So that twelve personnel, that forty three percent that we used those two tight end sets, it was it was better producing. But at the same time, the Bucs weren't respecting it as if it was 12. They weren't bringing out base formations against us. We weren't getting three linebackers. The only time that we were getting three linebackers from 12 is when Ajayi yeah. came back on the field and when we had Goddard in there because Goddard can line up in line and do a lot of different things for us. So it's interesting to me to see that we were so stuck on being an 11 and hopefully because I've heard it from Doug Peterson. I've heard it from Mike Rowe now that it was not in the plan. To have Goddard involved that heavily insane to me that Kamar Aiken was the first backup plan that you had insane to me that Josh Perkins was the was the first the 1A or the 1B backup plan that you had and Dallas Goddard was not. Please give me more Goddard. Right. Now, especially with Ajayi out.
0: Do we know how long Ajayi is out? Do we have that information? I have not been listening to the press conferences. My life has been a whirlwind. I'm moving right now.
1: We do not have the information, but as soon as Josh Adams was signed and DeAndre Carter was waived, that gave you the first hint of what's going on with Ajayi's back, in my mind.
0: I'm very happy that Josh Adams was signed. Congratulations to Josh. Hooray. hardworking player. That's great. I am dreading having to... St- Spend more time talking about Josh Adams. I thought I was done talking about Josh Adams. I thought I had, I had done all that. We, we had hashed everything out, and we knew what it was, and it was okay. Now we're now the Josh thing has been put to bed. He's on the practice squad. Don't have to deal with it for a full year. And here he is again. I have to explain to people why 90 rushing yards on 23 carries is not great in the preseason against third fingers. <laughs> but whatever. Um, but he,
1: fin- he finished so well, Ben. He finished Mike. so well. <laughs>
0: I want to go back to 11 personnel, 12 personnel, because you tweeted yeah. this out with your success rates, which is a wonderful resource. Make sure you follow Mike. The Eagles, 11 personnel, 55% of the time, uh, mm-hmm. with an overall 41% success rate. Bad. 12, 43% of the time, so that's that's 12% less, with a 50% success rate, plus 9%. On the pass-run splits, pass was kind of even, 36% for 11, 38% for 12. For the run, 50% success. In 11, 57% in 12. And again, you know, for those of you who may not be as familiar, when we talk about 11 and 12 personnel, uh, the first number of the two number sequence references the number of backs on the field. So one, one running back. And then the second number is the number of tight ends. So 11 personnel is one back, one tight end, and then of course three receivers. Whereas 12 personnel is one back, two tight ends, and then the two receivers. That rushing number stands out to me, Mike, because with Carson on the field, obviously things are going to change. We're going to have to look at that. I don't know if you saw Foles' heat map, but literally the entire offense ran through the right side of the field, which is not the case with Carson, right? So there's going to be some some major changes in that regard, obviously, because Carson back. But 57%, a 7% increase rushing the football, and obviously Peterson picks his spots to run it. If you go back, man, and you're watching, when they can run that influence trap out of 12 – it hits very frequently when they run their little, uh I don't have a name for it. And I wish I could go and ask grow what he calls it, but they'll run split zone or they'll run uh, just a quick wham or anything very simple out of 12 personnel. And they'll take one of their tight ends and just run him into the flat. And that tight end always just carries with him a weak side back or a strong side backer, excuse me, yeah. because their teams are heavily worried about the play action, quick game, RPO game from Philadelphia. And so, you're like, you know, oh, Dallas Goddard's not a great blocker. Listen, they had a play against Tampa where they lined up Goddard as a, as an H-back, a tight end off the line of scrimmage and just ran him out into the flat and he took a linebacker with him. That's more effective than any <laughs> other block. That's more effective than a fantastic block because the guy isn't, it's not even like the running back has to work around the block because there are actual humans occupying 3D space. There's nobody there. It was the opening <laughs> run of the third quarter with a giant. And it was a – he just had safeties to beat. And Ajay was clearly at like 70%, right? And he wasn't able to beat the safeties. And that was a big issue. Corey Clement struggled to beat the safeties. Wendell Smallwood struggled to beat literally anybody who tried to tackle him. (laughs) A tackle break would have been so nice, get some more run after contact, whatever. But that's why I have a big umbrage with this Dallas Goddard was not built into the game plan. Because if you have these numbers, that 12 personnel is so successful, there's no way – Doug and Mike don't have these numbers, right. and so, firstly, twelve should be used at a higher click than eleven, especially when Foles is in the game. In my opinion, right. Obviously, you're dealing with two running backs out, but you've got Corey, you got Wendell, whatever.
1: Considering the wide receiver situation, twelve right. should have definitely used, been, been used at a higher clip, and not yep. would not and not so high puffed up by Josh Perkins. Bring me up to forty percent with Dallas Goddard. Now we're talking.
0: Right. And and right. Well, I think the more twelve you run the more Goddard's just going to have to get involved, even if he's tight end three. Because Perkins and Arts are going to get tired because run running 12 all the time, right? Yeah. The more you're going to have to rotate the guy in and just get him some sort of snaps to see what he can do out in live game action. And furthermore, Mike, I would argue that you can go hurry up better in 12 than you can in 11, especially when you're Philadelphia's team, because Ertz and Goddard and Perkins are all tight ends that you can flex out as wide receivers. So Mm -hmm. you're running 12 personnel, but you can have four guys, you can have four wide receivers by alignment. And and your hurry up, like that was not something that was deployed against Tampa as much. I would have loved to have seen them cash in on that. And it's very curious because I know that Reich loves hurry up. And I wonder how much Reich was the guy who would kind of push them into those hurry-up sets when he was here. It's just, it's it's a theory. I have no backing behind it. But anyway, that's my rant about 11 and 12 personnel. If we see a similar lack of goddard and a similar lack of twelve, and the answer still keeps being game plany stuff. Then it's BS, and it's clearly something else, right? I'm giving them. So week. that's something I'm very interested to follow in the Colts game, and then in the Pressers to follow.
1: I'm giving them one week.
0: You've got one week.
1: You've got one week. You, you always Peterson.
0: give. What what is it that Michael Scott says? You always, they always give a time or something like that. Uh, either way, you don't understand that because you're you don't watch The Office because we're not friends.
1: <laughs> that's correct. Okay, so looking over this game, let's 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 be happy. About how bad Nick Foles was, so we can be happy about how glad we're going to be when we see Eleven take the field. We're not talking about personnel, baby. We're talking about Carson Wentz, because he's coming back. Carson back. Nick Foles, dude, 2.92 seconds to throw. Now compare that with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Remember we talked about Ryan Fitzpatrick having that really quick time to throw against the Saints? It was 2.3 seconds. Mm -hmm. 2.21 against the Eagles.
0: Mike! (laughs) <laughs> that's so bad like that's so bad for us
1: so 2.92 huge difference it was noticeable when you were when you were watching it live double clutching triple clutching missing wide open guys which i'm sure we'll get into the, the specifics on, on on things that he may have missed as well but the stat line for him doesn't tell the story on this not the same story as the film tells obviously because his performance was not only indecisive and bad but like you mentioned before and have said on twitter also Severely right-handed, uh, and that's using the next-gen stats. Looking at the at the heat map there.
0: If you if you just divide the field by the right hash, not even by the middle of the field. If you divide the field by the right hash, throws to the right of the right hash. Twenty-eight out of forty-eight of Nick Foles' attempts were outside of the right hash, and then the remaining twenty. So again, less than fifty percent were either to the middle of the field between the hashes or to the left hash. And then Mike, you start talking about depth placement, there was one throw to the left of the right hash that went behind the line of scrimmage. There were a total of 11 throws, Mike, that were at or behind the line of the line of scrimmage to the side of the right hash. So of the 28 attempts, about 40% were behind the line of scrimmage to throw to the right side of the field. Firstly, I know Doug was trying to hit his screens. I know he's trying to get his little sweeps and his little space plays and get the ball out of Nick hands, and I, I respect that. But this chart screams to me like those charts that detractors would use in Wentz's first year to talk about his poor air yardage stats and how the offense Mm. was restricted for him, right? Just when Wentz was going through his growing pains. And of course, what do we know about that 2016 season, Mike? No weapons. He did not have high quality pass catchers. Obviously, that's the case with Foles. When this offense is restricted in terms of pass catchers and even restricted in terms of quarterback, because first year Carson wasn't great. Obviously, Foles isn't great. This offense becomes really restricted within 10, 15 yards and becomes very reliant on those quick constraint plays, especially behind the line of scrimmage. That's what we see with Foles. I mean, easily 65% of his throws are within 10 yards on the right-hand side of the line of the, of the hashes.
1: And there was one where he took a shot, The one of the few shots that he took deep. He only took four of them, completed two of them. One of them was a deep shot to Shelton Gibson on the left side. He should have thrown right on that one. They should have thrown the Nelson Aguilar, lined up in the slot. They had a three-man route coming, you know, or three-man route on. You get Aguilar against MJ Stewart. And this time he looks to the left and Shelton Gibson can't separate. And Shelton Gibson's release was like your first year of high school release. Pathetic. And that was what we had worried about, you know, with him against press the entire time. So Shelton Gibson isn't a thing. Uh, all, All that stuff in the preseason was a mirage, at least when he has to deal with contact. And that was always our worry with him. So you look around this offense and you go, who who was it? where were the opportunities? Because there were opportunities. I thought Zach Ertz and I have this on my notes missed I, with that header, missed opportunities. First quarter, 807, first and thirty, Ertz over the top of the linebackers in front of the deep safety, calling for the ball. That was one, and that was an area that we talked about attacking. And Foles was looking at right at it for a second and just completely missed it. The other one that was bad, second quarter, first and 10 from the Tampa Bay 15. Ertz is one-on-one on the backside of the play with Ryan Smith. If Foles waits a half of a beat and just slides a little bit to his left, away from where the pressure was coming from, no free rushers, but pressure was getting close to him, just a half a beat, slide to the left, throw it to Ertz. He's wide open. He had tilted Smith. He had gotten a space. That's a sure touchdown. Instead, what he does is he panics with a fairly clean pocket and rolls to where the pressure is to go around it and then can't find anyone. It was just over and over and over again. You saw him unwilling to just get rid of the ball. There was one throw to to Zacherts at the goal line. He must have triple clutched that thing. The living mm-hmm. situation of, of that thing didn't change the entire time and he finally let it go. Just let the ball go, man. Just get rid of it, baby. It's fine. What happens happens. But he, he just seems so indecisive. And, you know, we talk about Wentz holding on to the ball a little bit longer sometimes, but this is just completely different. This is just... Yeah. And then, Ben, I mean, third and 41, we throw short of the sticks. It was like Sam Bradford. I'm being I'm being hyperbolic. Cowards. But.
0: How dare they? <laughs> Listen, to and me, they, you they didn't...
1: Got, they got to the point where third and 11, they're calling a draw,
0: Ben. All right. So, technically, I learned, because I, I had great umbrage with that play call, I learned that man in box analytics play data wise. That's technically a a, a good call. I still don't like can, it.
1: Can I tell you? I actually know I had I know this too. Over the past five years third and plus 10 actually has a better success rate as a run than it does as a pass, but the sample size is like super super small.
0: <laughs> okay, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Screw it. It doesn't <laughs> count. It's all variants. We would write. Listen, to me, you didn't mention the most egregious one, Mike. Fourth and ten. Oh. Nine minutes left. Oh, yeah. Fourth quarter. Eagles are down by 13. They have levels against cover three, which is like, when you're, when you're like playing Madden, I haven't played Madden for 10 years. When you play Madden, like, and you go through like the training thing for whatever, like in your franchise, they're like, Hey, when you, uh, see cover three, you should try levels concept because yeah. the middle one's going to be open cuz the deep routes going to take the deep third defender and the short routes going to hold the flat hook defender and just hit the uh hit the little post or hit the corner excuse me about 20 yards down the field and Zach Ertz is just sitting I just in it. space right yeah. against the boundary like right where you want it it's just it, i don't know why that's not your first read and there's a little bit of pressure but also There's plenty of time to step up and throw that thing. And you understand that's a first down inside of the 20 in a two possession game with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. You get inside of the 20. Even if you get three on that, Mike, even if you only get three, if you get the field goal, when you come down and you score seven on the next drive, right? the, The the fourth down throw to Aguilar in the corner. It's a three point ball game. Changes, yep. the because it was a 13-point lead. Changes the perspective of the game.
1: I think uh, I think listeners will remember this by, this is the play that Corey Clement nearly died on. Because he takes a shot along the sideline at the end of that thing. So he's holding on to it. It, it was And, and right. you see on that play, Ertz is waving his hand in the air. Like, bruh, yep. right here. Ertz had, a,
0: Ertz had a rough day of asking for the football and not getting seen.
1: Oh, so many times.
0: Side <laughs> note, by the way. That's a play where I, to, to me, I look at it and a defender's leading with his head into a defenseless oh, yeah. receiver, which just emphasizes the point I've been making from the beginning, which is that this rule is not about whether or not a defender leads with his head into a defenseless receiver. It's about what happens to the ve- defenseless receiver's head, regardless of what the contact actually was. Um. Yeah. So like, it's just, you know, you watch it over again and it bothers you because you wish it would have been called, and you always do whenever you watch back losses, you wish those plays would have been called. I will say, Mike, on this particular play that we're discussing, I remember circling it and being like, well, hello, good pass set Big V. How interesting of you to appear during this game. Now, he got a chip from Corey, which Uh, most good pass set Big Vs include chips from somebody, but it was one of his best pass set reps, and it was exciting to see. Big V, decent game. Pass sets were up and down. Gave up a couple of pressures that were done. Same issues persist. I will say I I should issue a correction because in the Kissing or in the Solak and Gowton show, I said that when Big V is in, the Eagles are limited with running to his side, which I hold to be true before the Bucks game, but they did, they ran it all over uh, to, uh, to Big V's side very comfortably. Um yeah. and 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 he he acquitted himself well. He's a great run blocker. He really is. Like by and by, he's not super mobile. You shouldn't ask him to do big polls and whatever. Uh, but he's 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 a great run blocker generally. The pass sets are still the issue, man.
1: Yeah, and watching that play that that you referenced, the one where Corey Clement almost dies, Uh, you're right. And this is one where he doesn't. And his big big bugaboo is getting off balance and getting thrown outside. And that's what happened to him earlier in the game when Jason Pierre-Paul had the sack on him. He engaged him. You know, they're locked up and then Big V just doesn't have the balance to typically sustain that block and move that player on an outside track around the pocket. On this one, he was able to move his feet, right? And doesn't Mm -hmm. and it just stays right on him. And then he just dude, he just bowls right over him. As you can tell, I'm going through the play right now. Really impressive to stay to stay with him like that. So that was good. I agree. It was up and down for him. It wasn't as nearly as egregious of a game that he had in any of the preseason games that I saw. And then Ben. Okay, so uh, are we are we good on offense here? Because we have to talk about this defense, don't we?
0: Oh no, I'm balanced it.
1: Okay, so
0: put me a charge. Let me coordinate. What was this? No, I'm kidding. You. <laughs> I,
1: I want to start with the run defense um, because I mm-hmm. feel that it really was a bright spot, and really the defensive line in general was a big bright spot. Uh, you just didn't notice it because of how quickly Fitzpatrick was able to make his decision, uh, which we'll get into a little bit more. But 22 carries for 44 yards. That's not including the kneel down by Fitzpatrick at the end of the half. I don't count that. Uh, only a 23% success rate of running the ball for the Tampa Bay Bucks. Only two successful runs in the second half as the Bucks tried to salt away the game. Again... Yeah. With success rate, I'm talking about 45 yards needed on first, or 45% of the yards needed on first, 60% of the yards needed on second down, and a conversion on the money downs. Fletcher Cox had a day, man. Had a real big day. He was disruptive in the run game and the pass game. Brandon Graham had a good day against the run. Michael Bennett, same thing. Derek Barnett did not get a sack, so he hit the under on the bet that me and Ben had. Also, if there was no sack, that means there was no spin move sack, so Ben will not be buying his Derek Barnett. Not Jersey this week yet, <laughs> but hey, um, I thought he played well versus the run, even though he didn't really uh, flash. No, he had a great game versus the run.
0: run. Yeah, like like my quick note on that is obviously like my big umbrage with Barnett is past game production. He's always been a good run defender, but for as long as he keeps making TFLs, he stays on the field more. And for as much as he stays on the field, he has more opportunities. So this is like yeah. good news and I'm happy about it for Barnett because if he's going to be a better pass rusher, he's got to have pass rush reps. And he's going to get them because he can stay on the field against the run. That's great news. I'm excited.
1: So that's out of the way. Did fantastic against the run. As I predicted on the preview show, one of the things that I did get right, well, not the offense balling out, but also the main matchup that I liked with Mike Wallace against Carlton Davis never got to materialize. Jay Ajayi got banged up, all that stuff that just threw my plan out the window, kind of like with the Eagles. Anyway, for the defense, Ben, what was your feeling when you saw first play of the game and you see the Bucs in, in 21 personnel, two running back set with the tight end. Mm-hmm. And you see Deshaun Jackson lined up mm-hmm. across from Jalen Mills. And then you see Rodney McLeod streaking down to cap Ronald Darby, who is coming on a blitz. Malcolm Jenkins is the deep safety. Are you thinking, hmm, probably going to run a curl? Or are you thinking, huh, probably running a deep route? I think everyone in the building knew what was coming.
0: Yes, everybody except for Jenkins, which is just highly yeah. uncharacteristic of Jenkins. And I made the point that, oh, like... Perkins makes that play one out of every 10 times. Jenkins makes this mistake one out of every 10 times. You know what I mean? This is very irregular. I'll tell you, I had the take immediately after the play, and I have it still. I love the fact that Schwartz came out and sent six on that play right away. I thought it sent seven. Excuse me. He sent Darby. Made it very clear to Tampa. Like, hey, I acknowledge you're going to hit some deep shots. So I'm going to send the house every so often. Like To me, that was a great message to send that just whiffed. I mean, look, if Jenkins sits back on that, Fitzpatrick has to get that ball out. If Jenkins is sitting on, if he's staying deep on that, the Eagles have a free rusher. It was one of the linebackers. I forget who. And so there's no way Fitzpatrick gets to Evans quickly enough to maybe like he gets the ball out. But to me, it would be a greatly affected throw. Right. So this is it's a game of inches situation. You know, even if Hicks is a half second quicker for whatever reason, then this ball isn't even getting to Jackson in the first place and nobody's talking about Jenkins. Right. Correct. So I loved the idea I think very much so. And I didn't chart the blitzing. I think very much so. After getting burned on this, Schwartz got skittish. Yep. And that was a huge problem for the rest of the game because Schwartz was very glad to just give up like 12-yard completions. And Mike, I don't know how good you are at math, but 12 is more than 10. And that's <laughs> how many yards you need to pick up a first down. So Tampa just had free first downs whenever they freaking wanted them, uh, which was driving me nuts. Interesting note, and I want to shout out Lance Epstein who sent this our way. Eagles home and road defense splits under Schwartz. The average home points per game against during the Schwartz era in Philly is 20.8. The Eagles is, is 12.9, Mike, their points per game uh, allowed at home. That's, um, that's a, that's an eight point difference. That's the best in the NFL on the road. The average given up is 22 points per game and the Eagles defense gives up 24.8 points per game mike it's a it's a 13 or excuse me it's a 12 point difference yeah home in the road under jim schwartz that's a that's a very interesting conversation because i will acknowledge that it's more difficult to play defense on the road when you're in a uh an enemy stadium but the average nfl split is two points which feels like <laughs> the right kind of you know cushion to give and schwartz yeah. is giving 12 that's wild
1: he, he answered that in the press conference because someone brought it up. I think it was actually the first question he was like, look no crowd noise. I mean it's gonna make, make it harder for them to communicate and you know and, and everything's disruptive that way. I have no other explanation for it and that's pretty much kind of what he went with but it's definitely been an issue since uh since he's been here and, it, and it's and it's super weird and if I, and if I can dial back mm-hmm. to the other point about blitzes and, and him getting skittish so first play he brings seven. And maybe it was designed to be six and Hicks had a green dog and it was, you know, they were in max protect. So he came either way, uh, seven came rest of the game, five blitzes, the entire rest of the game, 17% yeah. total for the game did not want a blitz. And when they did, they always ended up going against play action. And with play action comes three man route combinations. And with three man route combinations comes seven man protections. And they were not able to get home with them. They were they were poorly timed. And I agree that he got skittish with him and he felt skittish the entire game. Everything, everything, like you mentioned, nine-yard curls, 12-yard curls, comeback routes, everything was there for them. Go flat was there for them because McLeod's playing, for some reason, seven yards off of Peyton Barber when we have a six-man blitz on. That was another one that we got beat on. I couldn't understand why there was so much. So much off coverage. There is an in between between what the Saints did and, and what the Eagles do.
0: Yeah, afraid of of getting be be deep, you know. Uh, more. And how, how do you not get... trust
1: like Ronald Darby, who's super quick and fast in a bail technique? At the very least, like at least you're getting somewhat close. He's given eight to ten yards cushion. Why?
0: I and that's that was my big thing. Like so, at the half, I was bemoaning and 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 asking and beseeching for some sort of trap coverage, right? If you're going to give them the comeback yeah. all for the first half, cool. Then trap Take it, it away. in the second, yep. right? Get yourself a quick little pick with, with a lot of green space in front of you. Sounds like fun, right? I will say this, and I think this is a huge point that needs to be made. The Darby interception was not cover three. That big hit on OJ Howard coming across the middle. Ronnie McLeod lays him out, pops the ball up, pick. That was not cover three. A lot of the Eagles impact plays on defense, their turnovers that they're generating are not coming out of their base coverage shell. Mike, they are coming out of the adaptations. So Rodney McLeod dropped interception week one against Atlanta. That's inverted cover two. He's playing as the rat the whole safety. So usually the deep safety in cover three gaining depth, but instead in inverted cover two, he comes down the field and plays like a 12 to 15 yard rat where he's allowed to just play aggressively and jump routes. And he's kind of yeah. just that middle of the field sort of a guy. He jumps that Julio route nearly picks it off. Mike, this time He's playing as a as a as a flat defender in cover mm-hmm. two, right? So far responsibility. Nobody is working into his flats. So he just reads the quarterback, leaks back back in an area that like, he has no business being in, right? Like he's he's zone overlapping, is what we call this technique. He's overlapping into another zone because he feels like he can. He lights up a Howard who had released into space, who had room, and that ball gets picked off. Number one, McLeod is great at overlapping short zones like yeah. we have two plays of evidence here but a guy who usually plays deep is very instinctive and i'd like to see him get more reps up there number yeah. two schwartz needs to be more willing to throw those wrinkles in more regularly it's how this defense is making plays it's how they're yeah. creating right the, the other turnover was malcolm jenkins just making a heroic fantastic veteran play in a pretty ho-hum situation hey it was another converted curl route in front of a cover three corner ronald darby it's literally what had been happening all game long right yeah. The only other time that I can remember off the top of my head that Schwartz tried to run it a slightly different coverage was the O.J. Howard touchdown, and Hicks was in a good position on Howard. Nigel Bradham was—and Bradham had a rusty game, man. I don't know if you saw it. To me, Bradham Bradham will be fine, but was rusty to me coming out.
1: Did you notice that when they went big time, they took out Bradham, not Hicks? It was Hicks staying in there for most of the game.
0: That makes sense to me, especially right now. You know what I mean? Right. That that might change, but we'll see. So Bradham nearly tips this thing, right? And he was moved by play action a little bit off his spots. So he was affected a little bit. He nearly tips this thing. Hicks goes for the pass breakup, not for the tackle, nearly gets it, isn't able to make the tackle, and then Darby just, just wimps out and just yeah. completely whiffs, right? But they, the Eagles were in a, a good <laughs> position to make a play on that ball and on the runner at multiple levels. It was failed execution, but again, they worked to do a cover two shell and it put them in a good spot. Hicks did a great job picking up that route and carrying it into space. He knew how they were attacking. It was a missed execution. When they move off of cover three, good things happen. Schwartz needs to be more willing to throw different stuff in there. I firmly believe that.
1: And he needs to change it up on down and distance too because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers came out on second down. They threw the ball 87% of the time on second down. They converted 62.5 of them into first downs, and they were all 9 Eight yards, all that stuff that we've been that we've been talking about, and and and, and I'm kind of forgetting some things because I put up an article on BleedingGreenNation.com where I talked about a lot of these things uh, and putting the blame uh, on Jim Schwartz. Uh, but I do want to bring this up because I'm sure this is something we've already we've already acquitted uh, Jalen Mills for the Deshaun Chuck uh, Deshaun Jackson touchdown. I want to say a word for the defensive line in the pass rush game because they got pressure 38 of the time for, for Ryan Fitzpatrick to get rid of the ball in 2.3 seconds average against the Saints and only get pressured 17% of the time, then to come play Philadelphia, get rid of it even faster, and for the Eagles to double the amount of pressure on him. Watch it again if you don't believe me. There was pressure on Ryan Fitzpatrick. The way I charted it, I called it a quick pass if Ryan Fitzpatrick got rid of the ball By the top of his drop step or within one hitch. And it was a lot of three step drops. So, three step drop, Mm -hmm. hitch up and throw. Anything more than that, I did not consider it a quick throw. Whatever the natural drop was, whether it's five steps, three steps, whatever. It was get to the top, hitch and throw. He did that 71% of the time, Ben. 71%. And we allowed him to because we gave him all that space on the outside and in the middle of the field, to be able to, to, be able to deliver those types right. of throws. We didn't challenge him at all mentally.
0: And that and that's what it is, is you've got a Fitzpatrick, who's a good timing thrower. He always has been. That's what, how he's made his money, 35 years old in the league. But when you're monking when you're the Bucs offensive coordinator talking in that headset, what you get to say is, yo, Ryan, yo, my boy, if you read, like, I'm giving you, you know, this guy, like, this is the play call. You have that, you know, that comeback, whether it's a read, whether, like, you know, the, the wide receiver has an option route based off the corner's leverage, whatever. You have this available to you. If you read cover three pre-snap and at snap, just take it every time. Like, I don't care what else is dialed up. You know what I mean? Just just feed it. If it's there, go for it. Because you can trust Fitzpatrick to regularly make that read. And he's mature enough as a quarterback to just take what's given to him, right? And not try to push the ball down the field and try something else. And then because he's a smart dude, okay, the Eagles rotate late at the snap and now you don't have that. Well, Fitzpatrick can get out of that pretty quickly because he can ID that change in coverage shell pretty quickly. So you feel fine just saying, listen, for as long as it's there, just read it. And if we, you know, if they flip coverage on us and we don't have anything dialed up to beat it and we don't get a, a good play in, okay. But for as long as they're going to give this to us, we're just going to take it. You know what I mean? Like that's a very, like when you have a veteran quarterback, you can just trust him to make those judgment calls out on the field. And that's what happened.
1: And I'm looking at, I'm looking at a play right now which was from la- from last night. We're recording on a Tuesday night. It's from the Monday night game, just just to talk about this. Because uh, second and nine, which the Bucs tore us apart the other night on or the other day, and Russell Wilson drops back to pass. He's looking pre-snap at what he sees might be either a nickel blitz or uh, a cover three type coverage. He's got Prince Amukamara on the outside. Pass is intended for Richard Penny. Amukamara is nine yards off the ball at the snap, right? Yes. Wilson sees this. And what happens is the bears actually drop into a cover two, which gives a Mukamara the green light to break on a quick curl at five yards. And that's exactly what he does. He squats on it because he can, because he's got people behind him. He squats on it. He breaks, boom, picks it, and he's gone. Take one of those back to the house. Take that curl away. Do it once. Do it once. And they're going to think again about throwing that damn football like that's but you you can't tell me they don't have that in the playbook and I know we're beating it to death but dog we didn't do anything about it we didn't do anything about it whatsoever and it kills us all the time the quick passing game against Schwartz it just seems like there's some sort of sort of block and then and when that's killing you and you also bust on 275 guard plays like forget about it like what are you doing two successful runs in the second half for the Bucks offense you couldn't get them off the field they yep. had a 20-point lead. You can't get them off the field, and they only had two successful runs. Blows my mind. You're in good position all, all, from the first down. And all. They couldn't move the ball except for just, to, just to doing this. <sighs>
0: Mike, you're going to be okay, Tiger. You're going to be all right.
1: I'm disgusted. I'm disgusted. It's
0: yeah, going to be fine, it,
1: but I'm, 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 I, you get pissed watching that over and over right. again.
0: What it comes down to.
1: Tell me what it comes down to, Ben.
0: Number one, I've lauded Schwartz a lot for his ability to adjust recently. Uh, and this has been something that I thought has, has the league would take notice of and perhaps he would actually get, you know, uh, uh, real looks at head coach sort of situations. For as long as he continues to have trouble adjusting as such, then he's still going to remain, to me, outside looking in when it comes to head coaching time. Now, it's yeah. funny because I'm pretty sure anecdotally, I haven't looked at the numbers, his second half versus first half splits are like good. You in draw. terms of points scored against.
1: Which points to?
0: So that, you would assume that he adjusts well at the half. Maybe that's yeah. red zone stuff that's getting better. Maybe, uh, you know, I, I, it's pressure. It's something outside of the, uh, the back seven. But, the fact that he came out in such a similar shell, and to me, there was no difference in in technique. There was no telling Ronald Darby and Jalen Mills to play tighter up into it. I didn't see anything like that.
1: Yeah. He said it was ba- he said it was sloppy play. Okay, that's fine. I would love to see him break down one of those nine to ten yard curls and say what could have happened differently when the ball's mm-hmm. coming out so quick, the flat defender can't get there. What's that cornerback supposed to do? That's what I want to know.
0: Yeah, listen, if it's if it's sloppy play, which I'm fine with, right? Like yeah. if that's your explanation, if they're not using the technique you've taught them, then okay. Within the next few weeks, I should see better plays on those curls, right? Because they're coming. There's mm-hmm. no way you're not throwing them after what Tampa just did. You can watch this film, you know, one major offensive takeaway. Man, I should really run 12-yard comebacks against the Eagles because <laughs> can't defend them. <laughs> yeah. And so if there continues to be issues, then there's no way for Schwartz's technique to be executed by the players on the field, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If that problem gets solved, then it was a technique issue, in which case, you know, we have – big complaints with Jim Schwartz, but really it's Ronald Darby and Jalen Mills. And if that's the case, we'll get there. But to me, freaking trap the curl. Just do something else. You know what I mean? Like you got to throw <laughs> something else out there.
1: Yeah. So that was the game for us. There's really not a whole else, a lot to talk about. The run yeah. defense did their Wait, job. The pass I, rush, didn't, well, right I didn't, I didn't get
0: to, I didn't get to say what it all comes down to. You didn't let me finish. Oh,
1: what does it come... I'm sorry, dude. I'm, I'm all no. over the place, man. I'm. I'm what what it comes down
0: place. to is this. Without one or two mistakes here and with maybe a luckier break or two there, Eagles could have given up a few less points on defense, could have got a few more points on offense. This was a close enough game that, like, you know, a few plays certainly broke it, which you can always say when half of a team's scores came from massive explosive plays. You know, right. like 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 you saw during the game, the Eagles' defense gave up more... 75-plus-yard plays against the Buccaneers than they did for the entire season of 2017. You know what I mean? Right. So a few a few bad breaks, and maybe we're not talking about this as dire of a thing as it was. You know what I mean? But I remember when we beat the Giants and we had a big, long conversation about how Mills and Darby in their cover three alignments were losing to Sluggos. You know what I mean? Like it's um, a win could mask this, but to good offensive minds that the Eagles will encounter in the postseason and beyond, you know, there's a bit of a blueprint here you know, you can incorporate into your offense. So could have been a win. Could have been not as not as dire of an issue as it was, but still kind of the the, the blueprint is there. I think that's what's important to take away.
1: Yeah, and, and here's the thing, again, not the end of the world. This is just a, a road bump for now. This is this is a small problem for now. We've got plenty of time to get it fixed. Hopefully it gets cleaned up as far as that goes because teams like ben said are going to it if you don't believe that teams are going to attack us with this stuff how many times did you see teams run slogos on us once they started to figure out it was working weekly literally weekly and you set your watch the giant to well the giants did it like if your watch six,
0: keeps time over <laughs> weeks sorry go ahead
1: <laughs> yeah the giants did it like six seven times to us like this that's that's how teams figure things out and and they'll attack you with it until you fix it so we need to fix it and uh once we do, I mean, I think this defense is still doggone good. And they were able to hold the fourth down for the most part in the second half. Just a, a few plays needed to be made. Maybe Jalen uh, Mills doesn't get, you know, a hand to the face mask for that. I don't I hate blaming the refs, whatever. I don't care. All right. Ben, <laughs> anything else on this coaches film edition of the Kiston Solak show for the gentle listeners.
0: Shout out Fran Duffy, uh who <laughs> no no no, Fran dropped the stat. I'm gonna grab it real quick. Uh, Eagles' rush defense once again is leading the NFL. Uh, they've allowed yep. 58.5 yards per game uh, at just 2.85 yards per carry. Those are both the best in the league. Yeah, front four is really sun. Uh Shout out yeah. Michael Bennett, who I think has been a great addition. Um, but yeah, so that, that that was just a stat that I was thinking of. No, that's pretty much it for me. Um, that's pretty much it for the Kiston Solak show here on BGN Radio. As always, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S O L A K. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K I S T. Bleeding Green Nation is on Twitter at BGN Radio. Uh, and you should follow the account because that way you would know when all the episode drops when you were on Twitter. And if you don't go on Twitter that much, well, then just follow the account anyway because we don't really. You know, we're not going to muck up your timeline, and you're not on as much anyway. And it would just be nice for us. That would be helpful. Thank you. Goodbye. And, of course, on iTunes or whatever app you listen to your podcast, please go ahead and leave yourself a five-star rating and review. Mike, I will say, breaking news. Uh, as of last time I checked, we had one one-star rating. and somehow snuck its way in there. And as I checked currently, it is no longer a one-star rating. I oh. believe it has been up to a four. Maybe it was up to a five and another four was given to us. But uh, we have 424 ratings and we have 422 five-star ratings. So shout out you guys uh, who are exclusively giving us five-star ratings as we have insisted. Please continue to leave those ratings and reviews. They do help us out so, so, so very much. And we like to read them and feel good about ourselves coming down the barrel for the rest of the week. Of course, you will have the all 22 preview shows from myself and Michael previewing the Colts offense, which should look mighty familiar. I don't know if you heard Mike, our offensive (laughs) coordinator made their offense. Uh, and, Get of course, out. breaking down the Colts' defense as well. It uh, should be a fun one in Carson Wentz's return, anticipating what the offense will look like and how it will change when 11 comes back. Stay plugged into BleedingGreenNation.com as well, if you don't mind. Uh, all 22 pieces, film reviews, mailbags coming up, all the good stuff. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you stopping by.
1: We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly.
0: Mike has uh, has that written on his shirt so he doesn't forget it. <laughs> It is! you. I don't know, you can't see fact. it right now, because you're listening shirt. to a podcast. I have it on my underwear, he, too. <laughs> it's a whole eight words, obviously only five different ones, but still eight total, and that stresses Mike a little bit, so he's got to write it down to make sure.
1: It's the only thing I script out of the show, other than the opening, even though I've said the opening a oh, thousand times. Oh,
0: bull, because we've got like four different notepads coming to the camera at different points during the show. <laughs> <laughs> Reading glasses just, come on and off. These
1: are just notes and scribbles. Do you see do you see that? Dude,
0: what is that? That's still a
1: bunch of a bunch of squares and shaded in stuff. You don't scribble you, oh, when you're thinking.
0: Wait, why are all of your letters uppercase, but the G in Agalore isn't?
1: Oh, you noticed that. Yeah, no, I yeah, got super weird. I'm thoroughly weird. upset. Yeah, all, all of my letters are uppercase. And then if it's lowercase, they're just smaller uppercase letters.
0: Yeah, like the M in three-man route is just a lowercase M for no reason. I'm distressed like by this. Ben,
1: tell me the truth. Do I write like a sociopath?
0: No, we've been over this before. Your writing is pretty regular My writing is literally unintelligible. That makes me feel good. I hide my secrets from my...
1: My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form... The The Shutdown Shutdown Fulcast!
0: Fultron!